Uh, we're finishing a teaching series today um, based on a Michael Frost book uh, called Surprise the World. In this uh, simple book, and we've got it out on sale, uh, I think we just have a few copies left, so it's not too late to pick one up. Uh, but in this simple book, he tries to give Christians some, some simple habits to live out this mission of God, to live as disciples. Well, well, how would a disciple live, and what would that look like? And, and in his book, he describes five habits uh, identified with the, uh, with the letters B-E-L-L-S, bells is what he would call it. The first habit is to, to simply bless three people a week. In a, in a way of living a kind of curious, questionable life, to, to see the lives of people around you, to, to on purpose, to intentionally bless people, at least three people a week. Then he invites you to sit around the table with three people a week. The, the second habit is to eat with three people a week. Uh, uh, it said uh, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's this simple way of, of spending time face-to-face. It is the power of a table, the way it changes our perspective of, of others, to, to see others as humans, to see others and, and to see their humanity. Jesus changed the world by eating, and so can we. The third habit is to spend at least one period of time throughout the week listening to the Holy Spirit, to the breath, the wind of God. And uh, we're shaping our disciple groups in a lot of ways around the question, how is God speaking to you through his word? Sure, maybe you're spending time reading. Sure, maybe you're spending time praying. But are you really listening so we challenge you to spend at least one period of time a week, like, like listening, open the scriptures, start there, but believing that, hey, there, God actually wants to speak to you. There is a God. He wants to speak to you through his word, and there's something for you to do. Do you have your listening ears on? And then last week, we talked about learning Christ, which was a, a phrase they used in the early church. And the fear is that, that far too many Christians, their knowledge of Christ is only a merely passing kind of knowledge. Uh, it, it, is, it is some level of familiarity, but, but lacks some real depth. And so the challenge was just simply to return to the Gospels, to return to the story of Jesus, his greatest hits, to make Jesus again a part of your study, part of your conversation, part of your habits, part of your life. Maybe you're doing a Bible study right now. Maybe you're doing a Beth Moore study or you're listening to different speakers online. That's awesome. That's great. But also, let's make some time for the red letter parts, for the words, the teachings of Jesus. And so we challenge you to bless, to eat, to listen, to learn Christ. How's it going? You guys working this out? Are you figuring it out? Is this too much for you? Is this too challenging? You know, someone told me, like, well, it's not really about the number. I don't have to bless three people. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll give you credit. You know, like, um, we hope that you're not looking at this, like, too rigidly. But again, these are habits. And the reason we're, we're kind of pursuing these kind of discipling, missioning habits is, is because uh, hopefully, eventually, if you practice a habit long enough, it won't become a habit anymore. It'll just kind of become this un unconscious thing that happens. Are you with me? Like if you practice something long enough, it, it becomes no longer a habit. It just becomes that thing that you do. It, it, it happens with, without intention. It, it becomes 
automatic. And that's the goal of practicing these habits. Uh, I want to brag on my wife. This week, uh, we were driving in a car, and there was a family that was in need. And, uh, and I was ready just to, like, go on, whatever. I saw them, but I didn't see them. And she immediately saw them, and she jumped into action. She wasn't thinking about bells. Oh, I can scratch this off my list. This is my third one this week. Yes, I'm done. But it had already begun to sink in that, hey, our purpose here on this place is to bless. And so she stepped into action without. It became an unconscious act. Do you see how this works? But to get to that point, like no one starts there. Like we have to practice these habits. So we can kind of get to this unconscious, automatic place of following Christ, of living him out in tangible ways. Today we're going to look at the last habit that, that Frost pursues, and, and, uh, and maybe the most important in a bunch of ways. If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 19 and go through verse 23, but, but I want us to walk through just uh, at a verse... Uh, at a time. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. It says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So this is a post-resurrection Jesus has been placed in the grave. Some of the disciples have run to the grave to find him and see him on a, on a Sunday morning, and they're greeted by who? Men dressed all in white that have an interesting message. Mary Magdalene, on her return, runs into a gardener. Do you guys remember this story? Mary runs into this gardener, and... Uh, She's uh, trying to explain to her, like exactly what happened, and this gardener starts speaking to her. But she doesn't recognize that the gardener is actually Jesus until the gardener says what? Do you remember? As soon as the gardener says her name, Mary, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. And she's given a message to go and tell the, the disciples that Jesus is risen. And where are the disciples? <laughs> Locked behind closed doors. I imagine uh, my three-year-old when he's in trouble hiding in the closet. You know, like that's where they're at. And why are they locked behind closed doors? Their whole world has just been shattered, right? The one they've been following, their teacher, their rabbi has been crucified. He's been killed in the most atrocious way imaginable, arrested and tortured and beaten. And they think they might be next. And so Jesus appears to them right in their midst, <laughs> in their sanctuary of solitude and protective place. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them and what does he say to them? Peace be with you. This is more than just a, the Jewish greeting of, of shalom, of, of kind of wholeness, of uh, a kind of a whole overwhelming peace. It's more than just a standard Jewish greeting. It's, it's more than calming men who think they've just seen a ghost. 
It's more than calming men who think they're going to be arrested and tortured and killed. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When Jesus says to the disciples in this closed room, peace be with you, it's not just a greeting. It's not just for comfort. He's making an incredible statement about what has happened through the resurrection. Peace made between God and humans. A peace only Jesus can give. A peace achieved through his own death burial, and resurrection. There's never been this kind of peace before. Amen? In verse 20, as we keep going, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with, what's the word? When they saw the Lord. He appears to them not as, as some sort of phantom, <laughs> but as a living man, who didn't somehow fake his death, but who conquered it. And they were filled with joy. Jesus has that effect on funerals, if you remember some of his other stories. And then verse 21, where I really want us to land today. Again, he said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He says, peace be with you again. Uh, um, Almost as if, like, hey, you guys didn't hear me the first time. And remember, it's not just a greeting. It's not just for comfort. But he's making a statement about the condition of the world. He is saying things have changed now. And through me, you can have peace. He says it twice because maybe they didn't fully perceive it the first time. Like maybe we didn't well, the first time we read it. When Jesus says, peace be still, he says, there's a big thing that's happened. Or when he says, peace be with you, he says, there's something big has happened here. And you're a part of it. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This word sent is, uh, is a word, it means to uh, dispatch or to insert. Uh, it, it means to thrust. In John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus says, God sent his son not to judge the world, but to, do you remember? But to save it. Jesus is dispatched into the world with a message of redemption and forgiveness. Jesus is thrust into the world on God's behalf. He is inserted into the world to bring about his kingdom will. Things in our world. We could go on and on, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's interesting that this teaching comes at the end of this week. Without much effort, you could probably have the headlines from this week running through your brain, right? You can see them right now without even any prompting. I don't even have to put them on the screen, but headlines about, about shooting and uh, headlines about racism and headlines about politics and headlines about hurt and fear. Our world is filled with self-indulgent people, 
often careless, <laughs> irritating, and dangerous. Would you agree? Our world's filled with, with poverty and disease and deception and corruption. How many of you have been heartbroken by the events in our country over the past week? As a pastor, like sometimes people look to me as like, oh man, I don't know how to make sense of this. And so my phone has been blowing up this week of, with questions of, of why all this violence and why does this exist and why are these things happening? Maybe you've been drawn into some of those conversations as well. But I want to note something of importance. Instead of somehow starting over, instead of somehow hitting a reset button, button uh, uh, instead of uh, flooding the world or burning the world or wiping out humanity completely, God sends his son to die for it. It's important to note that the people that annoy us to death <laughs> The people that make us uh, want to kind of just hang out inside all the time. The people that make us want to never leave our home are the same ones God loves so much that he sent his son to die for them. We can spend a lot of time complaining about it on Facebook, griping about it, being angry at the way it is, or... We can pour ourselves into it, work to love it, and redeem it. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you to right the wrongs that have been done. I'm sending, I'm sending you to bring order to chaos. I'm sending you to bring healing to those who are hurting I'm sending you to fight evil with good. I'm sending you to pursue peace and work to maintain it. I'm sending you to bring light into the darkness, to speak life into death itself, to put on, to embody what Jesus so fervently prayed for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In John chapter 17, earlier in John in verse 18, he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus compels and propels his followers to pick up where he left off. Are you with me? No. Awesome. Are you with me? Are you paying attention? Jesus, better than anyone, knew the risk of entering this mission. Right? There are easier jobs. <laughs> there are easier missions. There's easier sentness. Jesus, even himself, as he sent out the 72, he said, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And if there is anything about the disciples' lives that we can relate to, it is the simple fact that they felt unprepared. 
The fact that the disciples of Jesus, even after spending three years with him, were filled with hesitation and doubt and fear. They, they felt themselves ill-equipped for the sentness. They felt themselves ill-equipped and incapable. And into their fears and into our own, Jesus says what? He even repeats himself. Do you remember? We just read it. Peace be with you. Well, God, you don't know, you don't know what's happened to me. You, you don't know my story, what wrongs. Man, you don't, know, you don't know all of this stuff that I've had to deal with, all the wrongs that I've had to face. Peace be with you. You don't understand. I don't feel, I don't feel ready to, to talk to my friends or neighbors. I don't, I don't know how to talk to this family member. There's this weird space between us. I, I, don't, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know what, what you really want of me. Peace be with you. If I, if I try to do this thing, God, I don't know what others are going to think of me. How's it going to look now? Like, I haven't been living this way for so long, and now you want me to live this way, and people are going to think that I'm somehow a faker or a phony, or, or, or maybe it's gonna, it's, I'm afraid it's going to damage friendships. It might even affect my job. God, if I do this thing, peace be with you. God, if I do this, this, could, <laughs> this is going to change things. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect my finances, how my planning for what's really important. Uh, it's going to affect the way I live, even my future. God, if I, if, I try to, if, if I try to step into this thing, everything might change. Peace be with you. In the very next verse, verse 22, Jesus breathes on them. You remember we talked about this, this idea of breath, this idea of wind a couple of weeks ago. In Greek, the word uh, uh, is pneuma, and we often translate it spirit, but it literally means the creative force of God. In the Old Testament, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything. He creates something from nothing using what? Not his hands, not his mind, but his breath. When man is first created, what is it that gives him life? Do you remember? The breath of God. And here again, into all of the fears, into all of the hesitation, to all the excuses, into all of the reasons why the disciples don't want to step into this mission of God, Jesus breathes on them, and they receive this holy breath, this holy wind. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a way of saying, <laughs> we're in this thing together. If you've thought of uh, Matthew chapter 28, many look at it, uh, we call it in church world and theological circles, we call it the great co Mission. And co means together. 
when Jesus breathes on his disciples, what, what he's saying is, uh, you, you're not in this alone. He doesn't abandon us to do it by ourselves, but he says, together. In fact, it's not something you can possibly do on your own. He doesn't even allow us to attempt it on our own, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew later, he promises to be with us always. And then he tells them this hugely important thing. Look at this very next verse. Last verse, verse 23. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you don't forgive, they are not forgiven. Now, who has the power to forgive sins? God. But now Jesus has poured that same power, that same spirit into us. Do you believe that? We enter God's mission to the world through Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness, to bring peace, to establish the kingdom of God here and now. And if God himself, if Jesus himself has given us the power to forgive, then we have the power to change things. Are you with me? If he has given us the power to forgive, then we have the power to make a difference in this place. Think about it. Think one relationship you have right now, the power of forgiveness couldn't change everything. And Jesus breathed on them and gave them this gift. So, <laughs> your last habit, we want you to bless people, to eat with people, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to learn Christ. The last habit we want you to practice as a follower of Jesus Christ is to recognize your own sentness. I don't know if that's a real word. But to recognize that you are sent by God into the world with the exact same mission and for the exact same reason that Jesus was sent into the world. So how do we do that? <laughs> the goal is to see yourself as a sent person. To, to see yourself on this kind of mission. I think uh, the, the habit that we want you to encourage, the habit that we want to encourage is a journaling habit. Uh, and, and maybe this would be tough for some of you, but I believe in you. I want you to journal uh, at least one time throughout the week all of the ways that you alerted others to the universal reign of God here. At one point, at some point during your week, I want you to write down the ways that you stepped into your sentness. At one point during the week, I want you to write down all of the times, the moments that you stepped into this great co-mission that God has called you into, to participate in how and when and where you alerted others to God 
here where his kingdom will was done and is done. I want you to write down those moments. How did you, over the course of a week, announce or demonstrate God's reign here? Now, why do we want you to write it down? Why do, you want, why do we want you to journal? Like, like it's, it's, I, I think this is an important spiritual discipline. Too many of us have, have missed this or, or, or kind of stepped out of this. It, it is a discipline, but there's something about writing, like, like what our mind is thinking and our heart is feeling becomes tangible, ink on paper. Writing these things down, writing these, these moments down, help us to process events, help us to sort through our experiences and, and be intentional about them. Writing uh, these things down, these moments, helps us to see the world differently, gives us eyes to make sense of God's work, to, to keep a record of, of, of insights. Uh, I told you I have a friend in Texas who has a, uh, he's one of these Excel spreadsheet guys, and he has an Excel spreadsheet of every prayer he's ever prayed. And he keeps a record of every prayer that's been answered and every prayer that hasn't. It is an incredible witness to the power of prayer and the work of God in his life. So it is something of this, this great reminder. If I asked you, hey, how has God worked in your life this week? Maybe you wouldn't be able to say this or that. But he can go, hey, let me show you this Excel spreadsheet. And we need that reminder. But journaling, writing things down helps us to ask important questions but mostly these habits, and especially the habit of journaling, are about identifying ourselves differently, about seeing ourselves as sent. Uh, one of the reasons I love uh, uh, working with teenagers is because I'm just a glutton for punishment, I guess. Um, uh, one of the reasons I love working with teenagers, and I was sharing this with I was sharing this with one of you this week. Um, there's this weird thing about about working with teenagers, and, and and it's kind of good and kind of bad in a sense. Um, but one of the reasons I love to work with teenagers with with young adults is because I believe in their potential more than they do. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I encounter it all the time, of, especially talking with teens about, man, you know what you could do? You could do this. You could make this happen. There's, you know, I, I see the incredible, incredible potential locked inside each and every teenager. Uh, uh, and, you know, we're kind of in this, you know, some complain about this millennial generation. You know, I see this, like, incredible potential to, to create, to uh, uh, affect change even now, but but what does a teenager see in their own life? Well, I can't drive, and I don't know. I'm not very, I'm not very old yet, and I don't really know how I feel about that. And you know, uh, it, it is a crazy thing that I believe in the power and potential of teenagers more than they believe in themselves. Have you seen this? Maybe as parents, you've experienced this same thing. Like, you know, you know what your kids are, are capable of if they would only step into that potential, right? I wonder if Jesus, in this room with the disciples, doesn't feel that exact same thing. 
They're afraid, doubting their potential, doubting their ability, doubting what they can actually accomplish. Yet Jesus knows that each and every one of them, despite their fears, despite their doubts, despite their concerns, despite their youth, sees in them incredible kingdom potential. And if they could only see it themselves. And that's why I think he sends them out. And I think if Jesus was here today, if, he could, if you could look face to face with him, if you could look into his eyes, what he would see in you is that exact same kingdom potential. The, the ability and the power and the potential to affect change in our world. And if I could have one wish for you, it would be for you to see yourself with the same potential that Christ sees in you. To see yourself as a sent one. And I would challenge you and just remind you, I think journaling helps us to hopefully step into some of that to kind of see ourselves differently. But I, but I think this effectiveness, like our, our missional effectiveness grows exponentially the longer we embrace the kind of habits that we've been talking about. You remember that's we're, we're, we're blessing and eating and learning and listening and, and recognizing our sentness. Like, like we need these habits. They, they need to kind of be encouraged and, and nurtured. And so one of the things I'm really going to push along with this kind of journaling thing is, is you need some sort of system of accountability. I love this space. I love our worship time. But, but this is not a great space for me to go, hey, uh, Charlie, did you do your journaling this week? I know he's going to say. Of course I did. That's right. Um, you know, it's just not a, it's not a healthy place. So you need a space, a place that, that is going to be nurturing and encouraging, but also holds you accountable to your sentness, that holds you accountable to your potential. I think one of the best places for, you, can, you can find that here at Aspen Grove is our disciple groups. Groups of people helping each other live out this kingdom identity, living out our identity as sent men and women, as followers, students, disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to have a community, probably two or three, not more than 10, that you're doing this, you're entering into this together. Where you can say, you know, I totally screwed up this week and I didn't get it done. Or you can say, man, I, I really paid attention to listening to Christ this week, to, to learning Christ this week, and here's what he revealed to me. Here's what he showed me about my own heart, about my own life. We all need that community, and I know already some of you are doubting me. <laughs> but I challenge you, how effective on your own have you been to, for, uh, in relation to kingdom effectiveness? I bet not very. But if you could somehow unite with others, others that could encourage and nurture and help you step into your sentness, we could step into the potential that Christ sees in us. 
I just want to share a couple more thoughts before we wrap up. And the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come back up if you want. In just a few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of, um, of communion where we remember Christ, his sacrifice, what he's done. Remember he died for you, for your potential, for, for what he saw in you. Uh, not because of what you've done or, or haven't done. This isn't, a, this isn't about earning anything. He died for us while we were still sinners. It's not about us being perfect, but he believes that there's power in each and every one of us, that he came, he came, God sent his son to die for each and every one of us. And when Jesus enters the room with disciples, <laughs> uh, he pushes the, uh, uh, the ejector seat button. You know this, like a, I think like a James Bond film or like a, a, an air, uh, uh, like a jet. Have you seen the ejector seats? You know what I'm talking about? That's what he pushes. He just pushes the ejector seat button and just launches them out. And, and not in the way that they were kind of hoping for. I think the disciples, as they see Jesus, I think their hope is that, oh, thank goodness, he's going to take us out of this place. Oh, thank goodness Jesus is here. We're going to take hands and we're in a circle together going to ascend to heaven and we don't have to deal anymore with this messy, icky world. He's just going to, thank goodness he's here. But instead, Jesus pushes the ejector seat button by, do you remember where the disciples are? Huddled together in a locked room. Scripture doesn't say this, but I think Jesus, as he says these words, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I think he walks to that door that's locked. And he slowly undoes the bolts. And he pushes it open. And he points to an imperfect, broken, dangerous world. And says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now go. Jesus speaks to us here today. <laughs> with, with all the peace and, and all the reconciliation and hope you could muster. Jesus speaks to each and every one of us who claim to be his followers. He speaks these words. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now go. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, this, this calling that you've placed on us. Father God, too many of us have, have taken these words that, that you've said and uh, that your son has delivered words of, of sending and going, and, and somehow we've, we've translated those as, as stopping and staying. And God, maybe that's been us. Maybe that's been the history of, of too many in this room. Of maybe, that's, maybe, just maybe, God, that's been the story of our faith. Of uh, When you said go, we, we thought that meant to go to church. But Father God, those things that, that cause us to hesitate, those things that cause us to to doubt ourselves, to doubt our potential. Father God, I pray right now, just as you unbolted that door, <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, 
God, maybe you can unbolt things in us, things that have been locked down and stored away, things that we've been clinging to and trying to protect. Father God, let us believe in ourselves in the same way that you believe in us. God, right now our world needs men and women of faith. Right now, God, our world is desperate and hungry for the kind of peace only you can offer. So, Father God, I pray that each and every one of us here today recognize our own sentness. That we are participants in your kingdom, not just waiting somewhere huddled together to be carted off to some other place, but even now here in this place, you have called us. Father God, help us to enter into the same life and calling of your son Jesus. We remember him and his sacrifice as we enter into this time of communion. And as we take this cup and as we, we break this bread, we remember your son, let us remember the potential that he saw in a group of young men the same potential he sees in us. We love you, Father, and in your Son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen.